another episode of the Becoming Men podcast. This is brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I'm still your host, Ray Delanues, and this is still the podcast for men on their masculine journey who are charging towards the men that God created them to be so they can reign over their finances, over their marriages, their most important relationships, over their health, over their spirit life, so they could reign in life. Guys, and this is what we're doing around the world and the impact that we are having worldwide. And, and I'm, I'm saying that correctly, like worldwide, I am contacting people from different continents. And it feels amazing to know that there is that type of impact coming from this little room that I'm sitting in right now recording this podcast. But ultimately, it's all a testament to the power of having supporters. I'm specifically talking about my financial supporters who have been so faithful in giving and partnering with me to support this ministry. But right now we are in a growing phase and our budget has increased to $500 a month. We have already raised 25% of that budget. But if we can get just another 75 guys to donate $5 a month, that's it. Just a minimum of $5 a month. We can reach that budget in no time. So if you want to be part of that change that is happening around the world through the lives of men, men who will go out and change their families, who will then go out and influence communities and communities that will change states and regions, societies. If you want to be a part of that, I invite you to head over to thebecomingmen.com forward slash partner and consider being a financial partner with us today. Again, that's thebecomingmen.com forward slash partner. Today's episode is going to rock your world and it might just knock you out. Ha, ha, ha. All right, I'm, I'm actually much more funnier than that, but I'm also a dad, so I have to throw in some jokes like that. I have Joe Selecki, who's a professional UFC fighter in the lightweight division, and we talk all things man. And he just also happens to love the Lord. So we just talk all things Christian man and how a Christian man can show up in the ring with some dudes in his corner and be able to tackle whatever it is that is put before him because he has the confidence in his abilities and also in the confidence in God's purpose and will in his life. So if you feel like you're stepping into the ring with any crazy uh, circumstances or with any crazy situations coming against you, you might want to tune into this podcast, take some notes, check it out. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the Becoming Med podcast. Brother, my first question, what was your thought process the first time you heard Bruce Buffer calling your name on those huge speakers? I was like, man, I'm not going to look at him saying, I'm not going to look off the side of the roller coaster. I'm not going to look over at him. And then I did for a second. I was like, oh crap, that's Bruce Buffer. But uh, it was cool because it's something I had pictured since I was a little kid, you know? And now, um, you know, in the three times since I fought fought there since, I've had him as well. It's been in the apex, but I kind of look at it differently. You know, there is no one there cheering for you and all that. And it's kind of cool because if, if you ever watch, like usually like I'll like my fist up or something when he says like fighting out of Wilmington, North Carolina or something, because that's the time where I kind of think about all the people that aren't there, like my family and my team. Yeah. And uh, aside from my, my three corners, you know, I, I had nobody there with me. So it's kind of like that connection to home is him kind of, you know, out of all the stats, it says your record is not, I really don't really listen to any of that. Right. And then also like fighting out of Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'll be like, that's right. Like, and then now since I have my, my daughter, I'll touch like those little footprints or something on my chest. And, yeah. uh, it's cool. It's kind of like when everything dials in and you're ready to really, really go. How does it feel to have Herb Dean, uh, get you off of somebody after you're, you know, after you just tap somebody out, man. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like the first couple of times this stuff happens, you're like, Oh man, this is insane. Like I've watched this guy ref me. Like he'll yeah. come back in the locker room. You know, the ref always meets with you in private. Like, okay. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm Herb. I'll be wrestling your fight. I'm on like, 
Yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> the whole world knows who you are, dude. But um, it's cool. Poor and then with time, while you still appreciate it, it starts to become normal. Like, they'll start to recognize you. I'm like, oh, yeah, you had me last time, Joe. And you're like, uh, yeah, I guess we're on first name basis now. And it's really, yeah. really, really interesting. You know, there's certain people. And really, everybody that you meet at these events, and aside from the few, which uh, are probably the obvious ones, everyone's super nice. You know, everyone is super down to earth. I think cause we are that kind of blue collar sport where aside from, you know, what, maybe 10 of the guys, everyone's getting paid a normal livable salary. Nobody's yeah. these crazy celebrities. So everybody that I've had to deal with out there, including her Dean has been awesome. You know, everybody uh, is really, really respectful, really helpful and pretty open. Like, and nobody thinks they're that big of a deal. I, I was at the PI uh, before my fight. What's the person physical? Uh, the performance institute out there they, okay. they built. So they have everything out there where you can go and um, whether you're fighting that week, or if you just want to go out there and train or for the people that live in Las Vegas, they do a lot right. of stuff there. They'll have uh, you know, they have physical therapy and they have a really state of the art gym and they have all kinds of testing for your, you know, VO two max and things like that. Um, so on fight week, that's where we can go train, get our sweat in and all that. And they have physical therapists for the guys fighting. So I was waiting for physical therapy and Forrest Griffin works there. So he, um, he does like athlete relations or something of that nature in an office okay. up there, but he walks around. And, uh, I mean, you would think he worked at like O2 fitness the way he's walking around actually greeting everybody. Like, like he actually has to do that for his job. Like, you yeah. know, and, uh, he walked up to me and was like, Oh, like, how's it gone? I was like, Oh, how's it gone? And I had met him before, like three years ago. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, Oh, are you on the card this weekend? I'm like, yeah. He's like, Oh, who? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm fighting Jared Gordon. He's like, Oh, you're Selecki. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. I go, dude, I'm like, I don't, I don't expect <laughs> you to recognize me. So I recognized you, but right. he's like, no, I've seen you fight. I'm like, dude, you don't owe me an explanation. Like you're the yeah, original right. guy, you know, yeah. so everybody's super down to earth, but, uh, heard being included and all those guys. Wow. Wow, man. Yeah. I, I guess maybe we have a tendency of like putting people up on, um, pedestals. And then once you are there, you realize like, oh, that was kind of just maybe from insecurity or from just like this place of false humility where you have to put yourself lower than people. But yeah, like you said, it's, you're just talking to another dude, right? You're, you're working and doing a job. Yeah. I think the people that are the most like how you would expect are probably the people I would say my age and below, you know, because that's the generation okay. of like social media where you see people creating like these personas. Um, whereas the guys that I'm kind of talking about are all, you know, in the thirties and above, like, uh, I fought on the same card as Frank Yeager and, you know, he was the main event. He's my all time favorite fighter. And then, uh, he's like two people behind me and he's just like FaceTime with his kids waiting to walk out for face offs at weigh-ins, you know, yeah. whereas you have the the newcomers that seem to be, we're in the Instagram era, you know, everybody's kind of mean mugging and pacing. Like yeah. you see the difference between like a professional who's there to do what he loves and earn a living. And then the people that are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing by everybody yeah. else's standards. So it's cool to see those, but the guys that are really, really good seem to be very, very down to earth, very humble for, for the most part. Yeah. I think, man, you'd find that pretty much in every sport. I felt like with wrestling. So I wrestled in high school and, and some in college. And I feel like whenever you were talking to somebody who was good, he never needed to flaunt anything, right? He never, he never had this front. Um, it was just somebody who was just confident, right? And he was actually very willing to come up and talk to you and whatever. And you're down to earth. You'd be surprised because you put them up on, again, this pedestal or you put them way ahead of you. Um, when in all actuality, man, like that, that makes even, uh, that marks a good athlete, somebody who is, um, empathetic and can, you know, get on your level. So yeah, that's awesome. I got to ask you, bro. Uh, cause I started with two different questions and I usually start with, if you can go back and talk to 
your 20 year old self for one minute and you're disappearing, you're going to give them some wisdom. You've obviously picked up some lessons along the way. What would you tell that guy? I mean, I wouldn't change anything about the path that I've had, you know, cause yeah. it's all led me to here. And, uh, yeah. I would just say, put, put my faith in God a lot earlier, you know, yeah. okay. take it off yourself and, and understand that, uh, God has a plan for your life, you know, because I think that was a big thing as a young man, not that I didn't have my faith, but it just wasn't, it didn't run as deep as it does now. And it did in my early twenties, you know, from 20 to like 22, it was like a very, um, you know, kind of go, I went to Catholic school growing up. So I, you know, I, I had a, a belief in God and a yeah. uh, belief in Jesus, but I didn't really have a relationship like that. So to speak, sure. like I prayed, but I just prayed the prayers that I remembered. It wasn't me talking and listening to God or anything like that. So I think I would have saved myself a lot of sleepless nights, just understanding that all the ups and the downs and all these things were just a part of my life. And it's how I react to them and, and having faith, you know, but uh, that's it. I was, I mean, even now I'm pretty wound pretty tight. I'm a professional athlete for a living. So that's pretty mm-hmm. normal, but uh, worrying about the things I can control now, as opposed to like, I mean, I don't even know, obviously an exaggeration, but I don't know that I slept in my twenties, like early twenties, trying wow. on the regional scene of fighting, you know, yeah. I was just always up watching something that was trying to make myself feel better about like not being in the, you know, watching somebody that I looked up to in the UFC, doing an interview, trying to be like, Oh, see, they were also in their mother-in-law's, you know, uh, guest room or whatever, trying to, yeah. trying to feel better and just worrying about all kinds of stuff and just carrying around a ton of shame that uh, was totally unnecessary. So I would, I would, tell him that, you know, is really all the stuff you're seeing is, is all smoke and mirrors really uh, on social media and stuff a lot, you know, (laughs) man, I, I love this quote that uh, I don't know who said it. It doesn't really matter. Right. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, Somebody said, when you're in your twenties, you spend all your time worrying about what other people think about you. When you're in your forties, you spend all the time in the world, uh, not caring what people think about you right? You're like midlife crisis. You're like, I don't care what they say. When you're in your sixties, <laughs> you realize that nobody was thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like in, uh, in, in my life movie, I'm the main character, but in somebody else's, I'm, I'm an extra, you know, I got cut in the first day of filming. You can tell a lot about a man by the stories that he tells himself, the stories that he hangs his hat on. You can tell a lot about a man by what role he thinks he plays in the larger story, right? Like we are, we're all living these small stories and not realizing that they're just subplots to the major story that's actually created by the best creator that there is happens to be the only creator too. So I'm glad you agree with me on that one. Amen. Um, but so I want to know a little bit, man, about uh, your journey, right? Because it, this, you being able to have the successes that you've had and being where you are, the satisfactions that you have, and then now setting yourself up for even more uh, future success and goals that you want to meet. Like that didn't just come because you um, worked hard for about a year. You applied some guru one, two, threes, and then you made it right. Yeah, no, absolutely not. We have uh, the owner of one of the gyms that I train at, right. I started out training and then I train there every week still, even though I don't live in Myrtle beach anymore. I travel back. Uh, Mike Kelly always says he's like a really good strength and conditioning coach and he owns the gym and he trains martial arts as well. But he, we always talk about the fads that come and go and, you know, people are trying this and he's always like, there's no magic beans, you know, and there really is no magic beans. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like, everybody's trying to find them, but no, for me, you know, I just, a lot of it was just, 
you know, that's why I really believe I'm doing what I was put here to do because things that seem like an accident when they happen, you go back and you see how it all played out. Um, yeah. I wanted to be a power ranger. I was four, you know, I was watching yeah. power rangers, the original ones, the good ones, not this, not the dinosaur ones, yeah. whatever this stuff out now is, uh, I was the youngest three siblings. My brother was the middle one. He's about six years older than me. He was playing baseball. So he was 10. We moved to a new town and town politics, you know, my dad didn't cut the lawn for the baseball fields or what have you. Uh, my brother wasn't playing a ton. So they were like, well, we'll try something individual. So we'll look at karate. So uh, I wanted to do karate. So that was kind of where they got the idea from. And he was on board as well. They're like, we'll send him when you go to school, you know, you start extracurriculars, then we'll put you in if he likes it and so on and so forth. So that was 1997 going into 98 when he started. So jujitsu was really not a thing like that, you know, on yeah, the East coast yeah. at least, um, you know, you had a school in Philadelphia called Maxercise, you had New York city and then maybe some in Florida, but that was pretty much it. So uh, he goes in the instructor at that time, he actually runs the good fight tournament. Now Jim Fortunato owned the school. Uh, they come to Jacksonville, they come to one with their uh, Myrtle beach. Sometimes they run a good tournament. So uh, he was the instructor. He had been going to Philly with, my lifelong instructor who became John Hassett uh, and learning from Steve Maxwell within that year and a half, two years, he had converted the whole school to a jiu-jitsu school because he had gotten nice. his blue belt, which back then, you know, you're yeah. a blue belt, you're ready to teach this stuff. So um, that, again, weird coincidence, you know, so I start my first day's jiu-jitsu. He grandfathered the karate students in. So my brother ended up doing karate, getting a black belt in that down the line. I did as well, but uh, nice. my whole life was jiu-jitsu. So then we trained there for about two and a half years or so. Um, the program had kind of died down a little bit and gone back to more like a fitness school, fitness studio type, uh, business. So at that same time we had been, you know, uh, cross training with John Hassett would come down and either teach or they'd do like, they call them roll rounds back then where it wasn't really points and keeping track, but it was almost like tournament format. You'd roll as many different people within your size as possible. They'd raise somebody's hand, but it wasn't really brackets or anything. Yeah. Um, so we, we really had come to, to know and really like Mr. Hassett. Yeah. My mom was always like, Oh, if he's ever around here, we want him in your life. Like that's a good, good teacher, good man. And, uh, he, he ended up moving his school much closer around the same time we were looking for somewhere to go. And it was a no brainer. So that was about yes. 2002, I think. And then from there until I left for South Carolina to go to college and my family moved down here, which was 2012. So for, for 10 plus years, I trained with him and, uh, wow. I was terrible. I was awful as a kid. Like, I mean, as bad as somebody can be without quitting, I was that. Like, I definitely should have quit multiple times over from six to 16. I really, I may have won a couple of matches, but I never won a tournament. I, I would go to a Naga tournament and get submitted in literally seven seconds, 13 seconds. Uh, you know, and it was just a nightmare. And it felt like every time I, I either thought I drew the best kid in the tournament. And then a couple of years in, we realized, no, it's just you. You're not very good, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but it didn't really matter because of the people that I was around. So I was at Hassett's and I was in the adult class because they didn't have kids jiu-jitsu. So I was eight, nine years old with, you know, 30, 40 year old guys at night. And I didn't, I wasn't the biggest social butterfly in school. So to come there where I'm like, oh, I don't care about what the cool kids are doing at school. I've got the coolest friends around They're They're fighters, they're competitors. They're 30 yeah. years old. They got, you know, I'm like, I watch the UFC with these guys till 2 AM on the weekends. Like I'm, I'm living the life. So it, I think that's probably why I stuck with it. That and I'm very, very, very stubborn. Uh, I read a quote a long time ago that kind of put the past into perspective. It was like rejection breeds obsession. And I was like, that's all, all those tournaments losing in the first match was, was making me more and more obsessed. But uh, yeah. John Hassett played the big role because he, he would love to tell stories about obsession and overtraining and Dan Gable and this and that and just pump my brain full of it. 
because I was the only one of the kids that were there that would listen, you know? And uh, I think as somebody that taught kids for a long, long time, you do start to pick, pick out the ones that are actually listening. You know, I went and talked to a high school uh, football team a couple months ago and you're like, Oh, everybody's, you know, glaring off in the distance, not paying attention. You see that one person listening and it gets you fired up as a, as a, a coach or a mentor or teacher or whatever. So I guess I was that, but, uh, he really changed my whole life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody like John uh, comes along very few and far between. And I think we devalue uh, as men today. And I'm speaking for my generation, our generation. We're around the same age. We devalue how important it is to have somebody in your corner that you can bring in, you know, external to your parents, right? Cause you get tired of listening to your parents over and over and over again. They say the same things to you. And you know, for years, you sometimes need to hear from another mouth. And it takes a village, right, to develop a man, to get a boy to become a man. So to, to have somebody come into your life like that and to have your mom even say, yeah, we need to, we need to get that guy in your life, right? If, wherever he is, like, if we ever get a chance, that's where you need to go. And the, the humility, I always have to say this because now I'm a dad. So when I look back, I look at my own dad, I'm like, dude, I shouldn't have been wearing an Allen Iverson jersey, a Tito Ortiz t-shirt. I should have had a jersey. So like one and Steve Selecki on the back because the, also the humility, I mean, me and my dad had a, I had loved my dad growing up. Like he was the best. We play all kinds of sports and he drive me to the tournaments and all that. I did appreciate him a ton. I love them. But point being is like, dude, like the humility for you to like, let us go live our own life at night with other guys and, and be like, Oh, this guy's a great competitor. He's the man and have to listen to that and be like, yeah, it's fine. Like it's going to make you better to do that and to pay for it and to drive us and spend your weekends at tournaments. So uh, both ends of that, like that's the real man thing is to not really get all the praise, but to, to, to provide and to, you know, support. I think whenever you step into a ring and this is not for everybody, like not everybody does this. So this I'm speaking from experience, some guys, I, I wish they would get this experience. When you step into a ring against another opponent, somebody else's strength against your strength, two opposing wills, which actually that's the definition of, of warfare, right? Uh, it's a conflict between two opposing wills. It starts to develop a, these knee-jerk reactions, these tendencies, these habits inside of you, right? Because you now switch your brain from just being somebody who casually does life. And every time you meet something that you know, some kind of pressure that comes up against you. Uh, instead of just being a guy who submits, you become a guy who rises to the occasion or continues to push back. The hard-nosed dude who's not afraid to get bloody, to get scratches all over your face because you are going to press your will forward. Do you think that that has been um, a big part of your life? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Fighting, fighting is my vessel to grow as a human being. You know, I always say that in, uh, obviously athletically, of course, that's my career. So I've got to get better between fights, but I say like spiritually, because when you're in these situations, and, you know, that like the fight club quote, like how much do you know about yourself? If you've never been in a fight, it's not really true because if you go out to the bar and you sucker punch somebody and then your buddy's holding you back, that's not, you're not facing anything scary. You know, what's scary is, you know, eight weeks out. Okay, this guy's gonna try to beat me up, but it's eight weeks from now, seven weeks out, six Ooh, weeks. That's out. good. Th- three nights out. The night before the fight, we were sitting there, especially now in COVID times. And my, my one of my coaches, John Salter, was like, "The vibe feels like you're getting the electric chair tomorrow." Like, wow. like, we're all we're all at the hotel, and you go outside, 
And, you know, we were doing like morning walks every day because you really can't go anywhere. You're on like little premises. And then like, okay, the next day you'd see a couple more people. The night before the fight, it was just like every single fighter and their coaches were just doing laps to try to get their mind off it. You're like, this looks like prison. Like we have our one hour to exercise. Yeah. Um, so I think you learn about yourself. And then the other thing is, you know, over the course of that 15 minutes or nine minutes as an amateur, you really, when you see adversity, you, you start to learn about yourself. And I think some people maybe avoid that because they don't want to know. But uh, like I said, I said it about my last fight. So I've had three losses and I learned a lot from the wins. I try to be a smart person. I'll learn, hopefully don't have to learn from mistakes yeah. to get yeah. better. But in my three losses, you know, so my first loss, I went out, I had, I have a jiu-jitsu background. My striking was, I didn't really have any coaching in that too much at that point in time or any wrestling. So I had one way to win a fight, you know, and I, I had won eight times. I was uh, five and I was an amateur three and I was a pro. I go out, I do the same thing I did there, but I took him down, got his back. I sink in the choke. I'm like, Oh, here he goes. He's going to tap. And then I go get my title shot at the regional scene. He doesn't tap. Okay. Well, this is weird. Oh, this is an adrenaline dump round two and three. And I'm just standing there and getting peed off on, you know, I broke yeah. bones in my face. I went to the hospital. It was, it was a mess, but I knew I didn't quit. Like I, there was many ways out of that fight that I could have just, you know, not fought back or, the doctor came in with a minute left and was like, do you want to continue? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm good. Let me finish. So yeah. I knew I'd take the beating, but I'm like, okay, but I never really had the tools to fight back. I like to think if I had those tools, I wouldn't just stand there and take a beating. I would still fight for the win. But I hope that's true about myself, but I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, second loss, a couple years later, I uh, go out there. I win the first round, win the second round. Okay. I'd never won a second round before. Okay. That's pretty good. I go on the third mismanage my energy. I get walked out. I get knocked out. I'm like, well, I definitely didn't quit. I came out and won a second round. Doesn't mean I'm not at least just a first round fighter. That's good. But man, I got to know that I can still overcome. Like I, I've got to, th I think yeah. I have what it takes to, to bite down and fight back and win. You know? So this last fight was actually the missing piece to the puzzle for me. It was a split decision loss, but that means one out of three saw the last round for me and the other two saw it for him, but it was, it was a back and forth. But there's a point in there where I was like, uh, I won the first round very clearly, had the, had the choke attempt and everything, didn't get it. Came out in round two, uh, look for a takedown, whatever. He ends up on top. He wins the round by points. We go back to the, th to the third and I come out like I was off the stool before, like there was 15 seconds left of resting still. And I was just ready to go. And I'm just, yeah. and I was like, oh, dude, I've changed. Okay, cool. Like I'm definitely who I thought I was. And then I'm like, we're fighting and I got hit and I'm trying to hit him back. You know, I'm like, Oh, cool. Okay. We're here now. Like the, the last 10 seconds or so I, I screen grabbed it from the screen before they take it down. And, uh, I hit him with the right hand. And I just stepped back and like, not arrogantly. I have a teammate that does all the time, just like this little trigger. And yeah. I kind of stole it from him and I just kind of threw my hands up like, okay, we're here now. And I was like, Oh, if nobody ever wants yes. anything about my career, just watch that. Because, <laughs> and I said to my coach at the word, I was like, this stinks. I hate losing. It's killing me. But uh, the worst thing happened for anybody going forward. It's going to fight me because I know that I'm who I thought I was. You know, you can discover mm. a ton about yourself in 15 minutes, how you deal with fear, how you deal with adversity, you know, what you're, everybody has a breaking point. What's yours. You know, you got to find it. Yeah. Uh, I wish people had that experience without having to get punched in the head, but yeah. uh, it really is. You can really learn. About it. I think a lot of people go through life and don't learn anything about themselves. Yes. And, and then they have all these opinions but you're really not living in the real world. And even on the sense of fighting brings people together. So, I mean, we have teammates of all, all walks of life from all areas of the country, from other countries. And when you're actually in these areas, you know, in the room with these people working toward a common goal, you start to learn things about people that you never knew. And then you start to go, well, I'm watching the news and it seems like the world hates each other, but really that's not the case. Like, 
they don't, this person doesn't need me to do this or that. They need me to help them achieve their goal, whatever that is. So like yeah. people like John Hassett or uh, John Salter here in town that are out there running a school, helping people achieve their dreams, helping people learn how to lose weight or self-defense, whatever it is. Those are the people that make the difference, not the people making a, a social media post, you know? And yeah. uh, it really is crazy how, when you get into these essential situations, like a fight or a competition, you know, it's like a fight to a lot of people that have never competed. Uh, you really start to realize what's important and what's practical and what's actually reality. And I think a lot of the world lives in fantasy land. Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. And that's why it's easy for a man to go 15 years in his life and not learn a thing about himself. Like you said, like we're living in this fantasy world where where we have no uh, thing to go up against, or we just cowered behind some common thought or popular thought and never really uh, stand up for ourselves. But you're saying in 15 minutes, you can find out more, more about yourself than most people can maybe in 15 years. But I think uh, I'd actually add something to that. I think if somebody else got into a 15 minute fight, they can still walk away empty of any lesson because I think the, the, the missing thing is intentionality. Like you have to be intentional about looking at what happened in that fight. Right. And saying, where did I go wrong? And how, how often do men just like say, say to themselves, like, how could I have done better in that? You know, like where? And, and putting, putting your best self forward is yeah. a scary thing. Right. So I know people, and we see with like the John Jones of the world, he's kind of said it on Rogan's podcast. Like, Oh, I would, I would get higher drunk the week before a fight. So I had a crutch of why I lost, you know, but I know people mm. like that all the time that train their professional fighters. This is their job. And they train three days a week, four yeah. days a week at most once a day. And you're like, I think you're doing that because you're scared to give everything you have. And then, you know, afterward, it's not good enough, you know, and wow. it's a hard thing to deal with. It's hard to put in eight weeks. Uh, you know, we train all year long, but eight weeks of focused work on one person to beat him. You have the coaches all coming together, everything. And you don't get the job done. You're like, man, like he was better than me that night. And that's hard to live with. But I think it's peace of mind because I just, I don't care about putting on a front. I want to know the truth. I'm trying to find out how good I can be or how not good I am, but at least I'll know what I was. I won't be sitting on a bar stool, but so many people want to lie to themselves and be 70 years old being like, I know guys that are on the regional scene that if they would just take that one risky fight and beat that person, they're getting their shot at the next level. And they'd rather sit in their small town and say, you know, Oh, if I, I never got my opportunity, but I'd have been number 15 in the world or whatever it is. It's like, it's easy to say, well, why don't you just go chase it and find out, you know, yeah. I'd much rather live like that. Then I'll never resent anybody or anything. I feel like down the line, you know, my family, whoever it is, people yeah. like to say, Oh, I would have been at this level. If I would have had not gotten married, whatever it is, you know, people always blame other people, but uh, I think it's like self-sabotage almost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime you put an excuse between you and what could have been that man, that's, that is you diminishing, first of all, the value of somebody else's work and what they put in and what they they've done. Right. And then also it, it's really taking away the onus, right. Being on you for what, for changing your future, for changing the things that you could have impacted and actually making a difference in your own life. But it don't, you can't leave such important things on the table for chance. Like you have to be willing to get in the ring. I love that you have that shirt on, man. And for the guys that can't see the video, this is the man in the arena. Like how awesome um, of, a, of a thing to look at, right? To just remember that um, and see that every morning. If you wake up with that shirt, like I am the man in the arena and live from that lifestyle. That last part of the quote, when he's like, uh, you know, with the cold, timid souls that ne know neither victory nor defeat, you know? Yes. I think the whole goal is just not to be one of those. Like, I got, I mean, I lost a split decision. People bet a lot of money on these fights and stuff. And I got messages from all of you. 
I'm laughing, going, dude, like, I appreciate everybody that watches, you know, but this part, like, <laughs> you have nothing better to do than to bet your kid's college fund on, on my prelim fight. Like, yeah, like yeah. Dude, you're a cold, timid soul. You don't, you don't know what it's like to fail and you don't know what it's like to succeed. You're just sitting there relying on somebody else. And that's, yeah. that's really depressing, man. I want to be that the guy sad. out there trying to make stuff happen. If I come short, then, then my daughter's going to look at, at, you know, look back and be like, man, he, he left it all out there. Like, yeah. you know, whatever it's going to be, we're going to be successful because you're never going to stop trying. You're going to be stubborn as a mule and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe too dumb to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Gents, there are no magic beans. <laughs> Unfortunately, all it takes is all you have. And all you have to do is show up. Um, well, show up and then intentionally pursue. Uh, in the Marine Corps, Joe, we have this saying, uh, every Marine, a rifleman. And essentially what that means is if you go into the Marine Corps, you want to be in the Marine Corps band, that's fine. But your butt is going to be a rifleman first. Cause I know, I know of times where a trumpet uh, player had to put down his trumpet to go pick up a rifle and get online. Right. Or a food service Marine who thought that he was just going to cook the entire time, but Hey, our defenses are actually down. We need you on the front line, get up. And you have an annual training requirement to be a rifleman. And I feel like if I, if I could put a saying, you know, similar to that uh, into every man's heart right now, it would be every man, a fighter. And here's why. There's a guy who looks at himself and he says, not me, certainly not me. I'm scrawny or I'm overweight. Uh, I'm not fit for this. I just don't have a fighting bone in me. I'm too nice. I get it, man. Your disposition and your physical physique might not match that of the fighter that you think of when I say a fighter, right? The guy that the guys that look like you, right? But it's so interesting that when you look at the Bible and you see Moses freeing all of the people that he did from Egypt, he walks away with a people who were just slaves. Okay. These slaves then walked out of Egypt. They went around in the wilderness and then, you know, Hey, they had to fight at some point and God did not say, and the number of slaves was this, right? He said like the number of fighting men, right? Like God doesn't see you as how you see yourself or the oppressions that have been placed on you, the labels that were placed on you by the world outside that's trying to get into you. He sees you as what he made you. And I truly believe like God made you to be a fighter. He might not, you might not be physically ready right now to get into a ring and, and hold your own with Joe. <laughs> I don't expect you to, nobody expects you to, but you have to be willing to face things that are difficult and say, okay, I'm gonna get punched. It's going to hurt but I'm going to stand right here because this matters. I couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you talk about Moses because uh, I'm, so I'm doing a, a year long, the Bible in chronological order with, uh, with okay. a buddy of mine, Kevin, who trains in the gym, Good. Uh, who does like a lot of biblical counseling and stuff. So he was, we're doing it together. We're kind of keeping each other accountable. And that's exactly where I was last night was when uh, they had just, they had just left Egypt but I like the beginning when he approaches Moses and he's like, no, no, like I I'm timid. I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. He's like, yeah, I'm going to use you how I see fit. Don't worry about it type thing. Yep. You know, it's like, yep. we never think we're going to be ready or good enough for any of this. And we're not. And that's the, that's the, the most miraculous part of it is, you know, everything. And we were talking, I was actually talking about this yesterday. Um, and you see it with some fighters or you see it with athletes in general, like you'll start out and they're, they'll understand that at the beginning because you have nothing, you know, and then all yeah. of a sudden they've made a ton of money and they're at the top and it starts going from like God's grace in their life to me, 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 the power of my belief, the power of what I put out in the universe. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
it's like, man, like, and I, uh, the same person I was talking about shared a meme yesterday. And he was like, when you get everything you, you wanted and asked for, don't forget God, you know, and uh, yeah. we see it so much. It's just crazy because really all the things that we're doing, whatever it may be, you know, uh, going to war and coming back alive and in one piece and, and, and coming back with, with you, with your brothers, you know, like that's, that's by God's grace. Like everything's by God's grace. And I think people, especially today's day and age, forget that a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've been repeating lately, uh, Proverbs 21, 31. It says, uh, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So you have this image of like, Hey, I'm about to go to war right now. And something's going to happen tomorrow. But my responsibility is to get this horse ready. Like who's getting the horse ready, buddy, you're looking at him. do everything that you can to gear up this horse, gear up yourself and get ready. But at the end of the day, like whatever happens, that's, that's up to the Lord. And I think a lot of guys get stuck on, well, I, I, I gotta get better. I have to make sure I improve more. I can't get married yet. I'm not stable. Uh, I'm like, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not a millionaire yet. Um, I can't, uh, pursue this. I haven't done that. you right. Like we, we have these pre-qualifications where it's like, no, man, you do take it to a certain point. Like there, there are things that belong to you to get ready. Like you have to get ready in the gym. You have to do everything that you can in your own will. But then bro, what happens in the ring after you've gone to the end of you, that's like the beginning of Jesus <laughs> in the ring with you. At a certain point when all the work's done and we get on that plane, he's like, what's going to be, is going to be, man, just be you. And yeah. How, however it's supposed to play out is going to play out, but yeah. we've got to, you know, we've got to accept the result either way. And, and then we move on because it's out of our hands at that point. But no, if I stay home and I'm eating ice cream and, and not going to train, well then, yeah, then I'm definitely, then I really, I'm, I'm, you know, wasting what I've been given. So then that maybe I did take that in my own hands, but uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I heard you tell a story about a time where your coach told you um, to move your feet and uh, you, <laughs> you didn't for a moment. And, uh, and you, you woke up a little while later. Uh, can you talk about that one real quick? But I, and I know this, I know this, I've been taught this as day way. If you know, if, you, if you're not moving your feet, you better be punched. If you're not punching, you better move your feet. But, uh, it was that third round that came out. Yeah. My legs were shot. I mismanaged my energy because I had never won a second round before. So I just emptied the tank, just go crazy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, move your feet, move your feet, get that back off the wall. And then I woke up, you know, mm. and the craziest part about that is like, for me, I try to have. Uh, my head coach, Jeff Jimmo, who actually the night that I met him was in the back room at this fight. And that's one of the reasons. So the coach that told me this is my current coach. Now, John Salter here in Wilmington. Um, but we have a head coach in Charlotte, Jeff Jimmo. And I had heard about him for years. Never, never really saw him. We met in the back room of the fight before the fight. And then after the fight, he still reached out. Uh, his wife did because he doesn't do social media. And she was like, Hey, you know, my husband said he met you this night. He's really interested in cross training with you. If you still want to come up and this now, I'm like, Oh, well, that's a, a good guy. Cause I lost. He could have been like, ah, forget that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he always says you gotta have the memory of a goldfish in this game. And I think that's the only thing that I do well is like win, lose, draw. Like you're going to see me on Monday in some capacity, you know? <laughs> yes. So it, it was, that it was like, okay, this stinks. It's terrible, but let's get a fight again. As soon as my brain's healed, I'm not gonna get knocked out on impact. And uh, I just got right back to it, you know, because that's all we really can do. And it's the same thing with this last loss. You know, I've had lost three times now and they stand that way more than any of the wins, but uh, it's just that it's just keeping going. And yeah. it's funny is like, there was another person that night that fought, uh, had one more fight than me and a better record. and was like a prospect. And I think since that night, that was 2018, he may have fought once and is still mm -hmm. on the regional scene. And, so, and the person that actually beat me, 
just last year got signed to the UFC, but has been so inactive that he has not yet had his first UFC fight. I've had four, you know, so it, it really, as long as I just keep working, you know, I, I really yeah. think as long as I just keep showing up, as long as I have the skill and it's the plan for my life, like it'll all work out. But like, I cannot stop and lick my wounds. So yeah, yeah. I stopped moving my feet, but at least on when Monday came around, I started moving my feet again and working yeah. on, you know, what, whatever the, the corrections we needed to make. And those three losses now, but those two, especially I, this last one was a very, very close fight. And maybe there's a couple of things I could have done differently game plan wise, but it wasn't an outclassed or huge mistakes in that fight. Uh, but those first two, especially with the inexperience were just the best things that ever could have happened to me. Cause if I would have yeah. won that second fight uh, where I got knocked out, I would have got on a fast track to, to probably the UFC or Bellator and, and been thrown in when I was not ready. And, and, and that's exactly where I wanted to get to, man, because you, you did everything that you needed to do. You made sure that you were prepared for the day of battle. When the day of battle didn't look like victory to you, it was ultimately victory to the Lord because of where he led you and where he put you in the places where you just needed to be to rub around the same, the right people to develop a little bit further. So that then, you know, a little bit later down the road, man, he's going to give you more than what you can ask or think. You know what I'm saying? Oh, without a doubt. And that's, uh, and just in how, how, how God's using you, you know, and, and it may be, unfortunately, if the plan is for you to be a gracious loser that night, then that's what we have to swallow that's our good. own pride, you know, and do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I went through it, but before that, my coach, John Salter just fought for the world title, you know, his lifelong dream and he fell short and his Instagram post. The first thing he said was like, God is so good. You know, tonight was not my night and blah, blah, blah. And somebody commented and was like, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but it was worth you losing for my son to see your gracious attitude and defeat. And I was like, dude, like yes. that's, if that's the plan and that, if that's how you're being used. And, yeah, it's not fun for you, but it's, it's better in the long, you know, big picture. And absolutely, uh, yeah, it, it's tough to swallow, but uh, cause we have our ego and we're, you yeah. know, we're men and we get this and that. And, but uh, you know, at the end of the day is, you know, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, especially, and even on the, the small scale, like I'm a professional fighter, I went out and I fought and I provided for my family the best I could. I would have loved the win bonus or the, you know, the next big opportunity if I'd have won, but I'm going to swallow that pride and go, okay, well, I still yeah. did my duty as a man. I went to work. I came home with a paycheck and now let's get back to the next one and try to make it a little better. But uh, it is hard, you know, in a sport where everything's always being thrown at you in this sport in uh, everybody wants to fast track you, you know, everything is, you haven't even weighed in for this fight yet. It's Wednesday, a fight week. And they're like, so what happens when you win Saturday? Where do you go from this? And where, and it's so hard not to fall into those traps. You know, I've done yep. a pretty good job of it. Um, but it, it and it's really with people that don't fight that are doing that all the time, but um, it, it really is easy for people to, you see it all the time. They get caught up in it and they're already got the name in their head of who they're going to call out, but they haven't even right. written the name. They're actually assigned to fight. So um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think having my face and my family and the team that I have, it's all, you know, of similar belief and mindset uh, is what keeps, is what keeps yeah. you from falling into that trap. Cause it can be a very slippery slope. You know, it, you think you have vested interest in your training and your development, or you think your coaches have vested interest in you winning and, and your training and your development. But like, ultimately, dude, God has ultimate vested interest in your long-term training. And as long as we stay thinking about, you know, 365 days from now, just one year, or, you know, just where I'm going to be, you know, next week, like we are not going to get anywhere near where, we're, where God has taken us because he's thinking like legacies. We're thinking about tomorrow 
<laughs> or the next fight. He's thinking about the fight that your children's children will be fighting and how you displaying the character that you're going to display tonight or not displaying it is going to affect that legacy being advanced or not. Right. Oh, without a doubt. And that's the thing is like, not to be on a moral high horse because I'm a flawed man, like every other person walking this earth, you know, we no all way, do bad stuff I all never the knew. time. <laughs> but, uh, but like when you look at like Conor McGregor on the last loss, you know, like he has what hundreds of millions of dollars at this point in the bank. And I would argue that his kids are going to have a way worse life than my daughter. And I mm. probably am on like a, uh, you know, a very middle of the road income yeah. in yeah. this sport. He's making hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. but because they watched their father, you know, curse out a woman and scream and yell and punch somebody and all that in defeat. And it's like, well, you're not really putting good people back into the world with that example, yeah. at least, you know, maybe they will despite that, but um, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like, it's such a bigger picture than that night. It's like, no, like my daughter needs to go back and watch how I won how I lost and how really the reaction wasn't the same. That's another thing John Hassan always said, when they raise your hand in a just tournament, I shouldn't be able to tell whether you won or you lost by your face. You know, yeah. now, in MMA, it's a little, you're going to, you're going to celebrate a little bit. It's just too yeah. much adrenaline, but, but you don't need to be in the person's face screaming. You don't need to hop the fence. You don't need to be yelling and cursing and screaming and yeah. uh, running around, you know, you can act like you kind of expected to win. So um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, I think that's a big thing is the, the big picture, the down the line and the legacy that you're leaving for your family, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, a little quick sidebar. Do you think people would be upset if you didn't celebrate like most people do? Like if you just literally had your hand raised and then you just like, you bowed, you said, thank you. And then you just walked away and you walked out of the, you think people would get upset at that? <laughs> That's kind of, so the, the the last two times I won was kind of that, you know, yeah? I just, it, nice. especially in the apex, there isn't 20,000 people there. There's nobody there. It's you and your coaches. So yeah. I think, uh, when I fought Austin Hubbard, I, you know, I got up and I kind of just, I couldn't believe I finished in the first round. I shrugged. Yeah. 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 And my corner was like, and then that was it. And that was it. And I was like, <laughs> like I'm a hand raise, you know? And right. then same thing with Jim Miller. It was like, we had a great fight and I was pretty sure I won at the end. I had to put my hands up. So the judges, you know, maybe see that that's always like an old school mentality, but everybody tells sure. you to do that still, but that's it. You know, I, I don't need to, and I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. You know, like I yeah, typically, yeah, yeah. I like these guys that I'm fighting. I want them to go on and have great careers. So why am right. I going to, you know, uh, do the Tito Ortiz grave digger, you know, celebration <laughs> afterward and, and hurt their ego worse, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget wow. at like 14 or 15, we had a tournament, uh, a different kind of rule set. And it was, uh, either submission only or the first to score 12 points. And I went with a kid that was just like, uh, from a different school and he was over, uh, at the tournament and he can really kind of reputation be a little rougher and, and, you know, they carry themselves a different way. And he ended up scoring the 12 points and standing over me and flexing. I remember just laying there and looking up and feeling so defeated being like, yeah. gosh, like, Hey, I want to get that win back. But B, yeah. uh, I never want to make me feel like that. You know, it's just, yeah. it's kind of, my mom yelled at me one time after a grappling match, I slapped the mat, I put my hands up. That was it. I mean, I'm like 22 at this point, 21. Yeah. She called me. She's like, yeah, good, good job. But like, I think the other guy felt. <laughs> I, like, I love that. Well, way, way to make me feel terrible. But wow. you're probably right. Wow. That is, see, man, I love that you said that. Cause that's so backwards from the world, right? That's why I asked, like, do you think people would be upset? Cause some people, somebody from the outside would look at that and be like, well, this guy's not giving me a show. Like I paid for this, right? Like he's not giving, he's just being casual, but like, no dude, he's just being influenced by Jesus. Like what would Jesus do if he was in that same situation? People might say, well, Jesus wouldn't be in that situation. Cause he wouldn't be fighting. It's like, well, 
this is our sport. This is what we like to do. And this is, and you are representing Christ in the UFC, right? And it's two willing participants who are doing it for, you know, for a yeah. career. Like I've had that argument. How can you hurt somebody else? Like, no, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to win, you know, yeah. and, and he's signing up too. We're both being compensated. Like this is it's right. fair game. I'm not, we're not assaulting somebody, you know? What is the importance do you see uh, in having men in your corner that you trust, that you value, um, who can see your flaws and your strengths? Like, what does that do for you? Would you ever go into the ring without anybody in your corner? No, it means everything, you know, but no, I wouldn't, but I have gone in with the wrong people in my corner, right? Ooh, that's the ones good. that when you go to, and it's just because I didn't have my team that I have now, you know, but uh, it, it, the guys that will leave you in the hospital because they're, you know, their girlfriend texts them and she's getting hungry. You're like, well, I have to see if I need surgery or not. Like, uh, you know, the guys that will be, uh, late to your fight because they're, you know, performing or participating in extracurricular activities, drinking yeah. drugs, et cetera. Um, the guys that only care about you when you win, you know, stuff like that. That's, yeah. I think that's just, just, I mean, and I've gone in with that and, you know, maybe I've gone one or two fights with them, but the, the worst is when you finally realize it and it's before the fight you're like, Oh my goodness. Like I've never felt so alone with people mm-hmm. around me. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, uh, when I was on a team, I had a coach, I had left for the, for the fight, uh, the day before. And he, he, you know, was supposed to go with me and he's like, oh, I'll be, I'll be right behind you. I'm going to rent a car. I'm going to be two hours behind you. He was like all day and a half behind us. Ooh. And when he got up there, he had like five or six other guys there and they had all been drinking in the car. And I was like, man, like I called my wife and you know, my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, man, like I get the feeling that nobody's here for me. They're here for an awesome time. They're here to drink, to go. I was fighting in New York. They wanted to go see the city, this and that. And nobody could care less about me, you know? And uh, it was just a terrible, the the worst feeling in the world. You know, with with the guys that I have now, with with my coaches and my corner, it's uh, Chris Gow, my boxing coach, is doing me for for my entire pro career. Um, and, And very, very selfless. Like, to the point where I started out with him, I would pay per session. Then I couldn't. You know, I, I needed to box more than once a week and couldn't afford to pay it. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I joke wow. now that, you know, now he's my coach and I'm a professional and he gets paid and this and that. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm probably, uh, you know, you need to pay more than other people pay you, but I think I'm still paying you back for the three, <laughs> four years where I didn't pay you, you know? Yes. Um, redemption. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just like to see that since day one, I'm like, now you're going to get where you want to go and I'm, I'm going to do anything I can to make it happen for you. Right. Um, and then the second piece of the puzzle, I met John Salter and this is a funny thing is I had only been to one UFC as a kid or a teenager or anything like that until um, a couple of years ago. So, and it was in Boston. I lived in New Jersey and John Salter fought on the card he was from Alabama at the time. Like that's weird. And I was rooting completely against him. Like he was fighting Dan Miller. Cause the Miller brothers are from New Jersey. I'm like, I'm not rooting for some hillbilly from Alabama wrestler. Wrestlers always beat me in jiu-jitsu tournaments. So I'd have one moment to win. I'm like, I'm going for the submission guy. And I'm like, dude, I, I, yeah, I was a Dan Miller fan, but I was an anti John Salter guy. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, that's funny. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, yeah, 10 or seven years later, he's teaching a seminar at the gym that I trained at in Myrtle beach. And I'm like, man, this guy, knows his stuff. Like he's really good at jujitsu. I hadn't heard about this guy in years. Look him up. I'm like, Oh, he's, he's a Christian. Oh, he's a married guy. He's a good guy. He runs a school. Oh, an hour and a half away. Let me go train, you know? Wow. And same thing. It was the quality. I mean, he's fantastic. He's a world title challenger, you know, Abu Dhabi, uh, trials winner. So, I mean, no doubt he's one of the most skilled people walking the planet in this sport, but it was the the caliber of person. And me and my wife had that conversation when we were going to move here. I was like, 
I don't know if I'm going to make it where I want to go. That's not up to me, but I know by moving here and getting around these people, our life will improve because they're good people, you know, and then That's we're going to learn a thing or two about a thing or two. And then the last piece was Jeff Jimbo, who I met up at that fight. And again, it's crazy. We had plans to go up there, but I didn't really have the money. I had no money at the time, um, like at all. We evacuated from that hurricane in 2018 with like $200 to two of us. And uh, oddly enough, the place that we could get a hotel on my father-in-law's hotel rewards points from work was outside of Gastonia. So we ended up uh, evacuating to where Jeff Jimbo's gym was. <laughs> and we went and trained and I'm like, Oh man, like the second I can get up here regularly, like I'm getting up here regularly. So, um, and and it's been years now with those guys. Uh, it's been, you know, six years with Chris and we've done everything from had flights canceled the night before the flight and had to drive through the night to get to Atlantic city. And like, uh, to where like we're, we're checking in for the flight and it's, it's December. We're going to Atlantic city from Myrtle beach. They go, Oh, your flight's canceled. I look back and go, all right guys, this stinks. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna take it solo from here. I'm going to drive up and him, his wife, uh, my wife, another teammate, they're all like, okay, cool. Get something big enough for all of us. I'm like, no, no, no guys, this is going to stink. He's a leukemia survivor. He wears braces on his legs up to his knees, you know? Cause I mean, he had a bone marrow transplant. Like he does not get around well, you know? And he's yeah. like, oh no, we're going, we'll sit in the car for nine hours. It's fine. You're like, wow. Like wow. that's, that's who I want in my corner, you know? Yeah. Um, and same thing with John Salter, like having that guy there that had been where I was, he had gotten cut from the UFC and had to make that comeback now. Uh, you know, he had been through everything I had been through when I moved to Wilmington and we didn't have steady jobs and we're looking and we're trying to, you know, I'm carrying around that shame of being like, well, my wife's only one with steady income and everybody's looking at me like I'm a bum, you know, um, yeah. helping me handle that. And then Jeff Jimmo being the guy that has cornered, you know, 20 something, 30 something UFC fights. So when you get to the big promotion for the first time, he's like, this is what you're going to go through. This is how it's going to be. And uh, he was the missing piece because I feel like when you learn all these different martial arts, yeah, you're a fighter. But uh, then you go to him and you learn how to fight, you know, like he puts them all together so well, but he is, he's kind of like John Hassett in the sense of you walk into his gym and he's molding men and women, you know, but uh, he's changing people's lives through martial arts. And it's whether they're going to have five amateur fights and be done or just train for fun or be in the UFC. He's having the same impact on all of them. He's teaching them other stuff about life and all of that as it goes. So having those people is huge. And then the biggest part is my wife, because the only person, the only constant in my entire career from start to finish has been her. Um, because I didn't have my coaches, like I said, uh, till a couple, you know, a year or two in, you know, mixing the match along the way, but she has been there the entire time. I've gone to fights where the only person staying with me in the hotel room was her, you know? And, uh, that's the thing that really sucks about, uh, quarantine fights right now. She can't be there. She's kind of like my anchor. When I look out and I see her, I mean, I found her, in DC in 20,000 uh, seat arena. And she's up in the, you know, and I can see her and hear her and, you know, um, and that's, that's just, that's my anchor, you know? Yeah. So um, it's been that team. And she, that's why I always say like me being in the UFC, she might as well be in the UFC too. It's her yep. contract too, you know? Yep. Um, so that's been the thing is like everybody that I have with me, I love, you know, and I tell them that, you know, when I'm walking in the cage, I give them a hug. I love you, man. I really appreciate it. And they reciprocate that. And that's, that's huge because yeah. a lot of these mega camps and bigger teams and all of that, I think it's a very, uh, you know, skin deep type thing because there's so many guys and they know each other for six months or whatever it is, but to have this and to say, no, these are the people that I'm picking because a, they're skilled at what they do, but B, they're the best for me. And, and I love them. You know, I think that's important. And, uh, yeah. John Hassett, same thing. That's, that's my lifelong coach. And I go up there just to see him. I'll drive to Jersey, you know, to go train. We've, wow. well, we had nothing. We drove up there. I was going to visit my brother who lived there still. And I wanted to train. I was, I had just left, uh, 
the gym that I was talking about or the things that happened with the instructor and it had just been yeah. terrible. And I was like, man, I, I need to see him. And we just drove through the night. We slept in the truck, uh, my wife's Jeep, or we rented a Jeep, uh, like Jeep Cherokee or something. And we slept in the car overnight, woke up, he's pulling in and, and I'm like, oh man, I'm home. Like we, had, we couldn't get a hotel, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and he'll tell the story to his He's like, dude, I won't I drive him. This crazy guy's sleeping in his car, you know, but um, he's been another constant, you know, and no matter what happens, win, lose or draw, he's the first person in my inbox, uh, yes. which is actually very hard to do when you fight on TV, apparently like messages flood in. It's, it's almost impossible. He's always the first person in my inbox, but uh, <laughs> having those, those people, you know, yeah. that then yeah, you go in there alone, but you're never alone. Definitely relate to that. I think that when you have somebody in your corner that you can trust that you can, you value their opinion, um, maybe even you value their opinion so much that you'll go against your initial thoughts or your initial inclinations because they see something else, right? Like sometimes we're, we're so engulfed in the fight that we don't have the right vision to be able to see what they see when they're off in the corner and they can see the entire thing, right? They can see when you're not moving your feet that much or when you're not, your hands are, are, are coming down. So that, that, that is key. And I feel that like in the last fight, I would say, probably the only time in my career I've really veered away from the game plan because I saw something and then I got greedy with it and kind of reached for some low hanging fruit in the second round, trying to repeat what I did in the first and whatever. But uh, it's that feeling of guilt because you're like, these guys put so much time in and I didn't stick to what you taught me or wanted yeah. me to do this time around. Yeah. And, uh, and then even in the sense of, I think, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff, but it's like, even in the sense of, you know, John's got a family and, and, a, and a, a six month old baby. Uh, my boxing coach has a wife that he had to leave behind, you know, yeah. uh, Jeff Jimmo, same thing. He's got a gym that he's running and a family. And I'm like, man, like I feel responsible for you guys being out here. Like right. the same way they want me to perform and get home safely to my family. I look at them being gone for the week. I want them taken care of, not have to worry about anything. I try to cook and do whatever I can in the room to make sure they got what they need. And it's a real cohesive unit. So for me, I can live with defeat. It stinks, yeah. but uh, it's like when you feel like you let them down, you're like, yes. they didn't get to control it. They did their job. I didn't do mine. And now they feel the same, the same thing coming off of loss. They're just as can't sleep at night as I am, but it's not their fault. It was mine. And then that's yeah. the thing. I feel very responsible for that. And they feel the same way. And that's a sign of a good team. I think is when you're all, you know, if, if the bulls lost a thing, I don't think they were all pointing fingers saying Michael Jordan, you know, but yep. you know, Michael Jordan thought it was on him to get that team to win. So that's what it, everybody should feel that same, that same weight, I think. And we all did. It was a very somber ride home from Vegas, but uh, yeah. that's how you know you're, you're in with the right people. I loved our conversation today and I'm sure every single listener here did. I want you to go ahead and let them know how they can get a hold of you, how they can connect with you. Where do you want to send them? Yeah, just uh, I'm on social media uh, at Joe Selecki on Instagram. I do have a Facebook athlete page where I think just pretty much everything from my Instagram is posted there, but uh, Joe Selecki MMA. And I think on Twitter, I'm at Joe Selecki.